Ooh. It's a ghost. Welcome to Rocktober Hardloween Carcass. Uh, David, you should play some sounds. <laughs> oh, that. sorry. I was imagining a lightning going there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we'll let that post. Okay. Uh... <laughs> we are gathered here tonight to discuss the paranormal, the unexplainable creatures and spirits and uh, other events <laughs> that happen here in Iowa. I'm Justin. I'm here with Stella. Greetings, boys and ghouls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to do like special uh, Halloween-y nicknames. Um, I'm going to be Justin Creepy Comer. <laughs> You're always Justin Creepy Comer. Yeah. Well, do you want Creepy instead? You no. want that? Okay. <laughs> you want me to come up with a different one? No. How, what about Justin Cryptkeeper Comer? <laughs> no, I like Creepy Comer. All right, I'm going to keep <laughs> Creepy Comer. They all have to be alliterative. Um, so let's we'll give Stella. What about Stella Haunted Heart? I like that one. Or um, maybe Stellatin oh, Heart. Yeah. <laughs> but this one isn't alliterative. But I I kind of like Stella the Telltale Heart. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was going to say Stelltale Heart. <laughs> that's a bit more of a stretch. <laughs> well, I know we're not going to play any. We're not going to stretch too far here on Rocktober Halloween Carcass. <laughs> <laughs> it's already hard enough around here. <laughs> only only like natural sounding wordplay for this. And we got David. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you want to be Crypt Keeper? Uh, I need a pun. I, I need something to, to do the Crypt Keeper voice. A pun I must need. <laughs> that sounded like Jar Jar Binks. These <laughs> <laughs> are not Jar Jar Binks. These are much scarier. My fingers are tapping each other like this. <laughs> what about David Claire uh David Clara Normal? <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, he's here. We're we're obviously very well prepared for the opening segment of tonight's episode. <laughs> uh in addition to David's speaking voice, he will also be playing the role of accompanist for tonight's episode. Ooh. <laughs> It's, it's crackling. My uh... That was an interesting sound. There we go. There we go. Use that take. Don't use this take. Well, now I can't get to break. <laughs> Crackle. Damn it. Well, I have three general topics of, uh, let's, let's call them areas of study on tonight's exploration of the paranormal in Iowa. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time all of them. I'll just tell you the first topic is ghosts. We're going to be talking about ghosts. Spirits. Uh, apparitions. <laughs> uh, what else? Intangible beings. Orbs. <laughs> Sometimes orbs, yes. Sometimes orbs. <laughs> uh, so I've got kind of ghost stories from three cities in Iowa. I found stuff in each of the three cities in Iowa where I've lived. So this, these are ghosts that are very close to me. <laughs> We'll start out in Sioux City, where I was born. Boo City? <laughs> Spook City? 
And uh, the first one, well, there's only one in Sioux City, but, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. There are two, but in the same location. Nobody knows how many ghosts there are in Sioux City. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly thousands. Yes. Have you ever had a thought that, like, every living being that's ever walked this earth becomes a spirit once they die, and they're all around us? Like, every little bug Mm. or fish or plankton... They're all flying around our heads. Feels crowded. It is. It's very crowded. (laughs) It's unpleasant. That's why it's scary. Social distancing in 2020 (laughs) is impossible. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) So we're looking at the Sioux City Municipal Auditorium. This is the place where my dad saw the band Kiss in the 80s. (laughs) Acoustics. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to read you a little blurb here from ecmweb.com I don't know what this website is but they have a list of ghosts (laughs) a website for spiders by spiders (laughs) now known as the Long Lines Family Recreation Center this 3500 seat multi-purpose arena is purportedly home to Rodriguez an electrician who was electrocuted in the 1940s during construction of the auditorium People claim Rodriguez makes his presence known by causing the lights to flicker and turning them off and on. If that's not spooky enough, cold spots are said to be felt near the site of his untimely demise. Is that the sound of electrocution, David? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's all I've got on Rodriguez. A little light on details. But, I mean... What's scarier than both causing the lights to flicker and turning them off and on? Leaving a cold spot. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is the difference between causing the lights to flicker versus turning them on and off? Is that two different things or are they being redundant? (laughs) I think a flicker is you don't quite lose power, but if it's off, it's off. Mm -hmm. A brownout maybe. (laughs) I was thinking maybe... It's in the, like, rapidity of the lights going on and off. Mm. Like, if it's flickering, it's very fast. But sometimes Rodriguez just kind of, like, turns it off and then on and then off again, which I would find probably less frightening. (laughs) (laughs) Just slowly on and off. But, I mean, ghosts aren't always trying to scare you. He's just trying to let you know, I'm here. Lights off. Lights on. Lights off. (laughs) (laughs) I do have uh, another ghost from the same location. The Family Recreation Center? (laughs) Well, prior to that, it was the Municipal Auditorium. So, you know, like the only place in town where concerts happen. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's a a very important cultural center. So, of course, it's haunted. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an excerpt from a Sioux City Journal article from September 30th, 2011. This is written by Earl Horlick. (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) It's H-O-R-L-Y-K. And the headline of the article is Haunted Sioux City dot dot dot. Who you gonna call? (laughs) (laughs) And it's about this guy who's like a paranormal investigator, a a part-time paranormal investigator, (laughs) Mark Dunlip. What is his full-time job? I don't think it says. He's a plumber. (laughs) Could be anything. He's a plumber. Yeah, I'm fine So he got all the equipment. You just take like those U-pipes 
and you just like reconvert them into ghost busting machines. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> tubes in both professions, just mm-hmm. different kinds of tubes and suction. So another another ghost that's haunting the former municipal auditorium. And I'm going to read this verbatim. Back in 1950s, a person could climb a fire escape ladder to the top of Sioux City's auditorium, Dunlop said. That's exactly what a young boy did in order to shoot pigeons on the auditorium's roof. (gasps) Somehow, the unknown boy plummeted to his death off the auditorium's (laughs) rooftop. But, according to Dunlop, and unlike Elvis, he has not yet left the building. (laughs) Nice joke about a dead child, dude. (laughs) Really tasteful. Also, I like the, um, somehow he fell. Like... It's not hard to imagine what happened. Like, he was trying to shoot pigeons and he fell off the building. Like, <laughs> I thought little kids were like cats. They land on their feet every time. <laughs> That's possible, but you can still land on your feet and be pulverized by the ground when you yeah, land. Yeah, your, your skeleton will just go right through you. <laughs> <laughs> like an accordion squishing. Yeah. There have been reports, as recently as 1986... From people who have seen the mysterious boy in the auditorium's upper levels, sitting silently during concerts, and even Sioux City Musketeers games. And that's all we've got on him, uh, unknown pigeon-hunting boy. (laughs) (laughs) And they saw him as recently as 34 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And as I mentioned, my dad saw the band Kiss in that auditorium, so I asked him about this the other night, if he was aware of any ghosts haunting the auditorium, and he said, "Uh, I think people probably said something about that, but I don't know. (laughs) So obviously this is, it weighs heavily on the minds of Sioux City residents. (laughs) Rodriguez and the unknown boy. You think they hang out? I assume, like, if you're the only two dead people haunting a, a certain venue you've got a lot in common <laughs> like you, each other after a while well how how close did it happen wasn't rodriguez in the 40s and then the boy was in the 50s so i'm sure rodriguez so, yeah. was like hey kid how'd world war ii turn out <laughs> <laughs> and the kid was like ice cream floats <laughs> <laughs> yeah rodriguez is into jazz but unknown boy was more into rock and roll so big cultural difference they keep changing the radio channel back and forth with that giant ass knob (laughs) so moving on i have also lived in cedar rapids and i have a story of one ghost that resides in cedar rapids well we're all we all lived in cedar rapids that's where we met uh did you guys ever meet any ghosts while we lived there uh just the fifth season is a ghost i think (laughs) (laughs) a season to scare all the other seasons (laughs) I would love to see a ghost. Like, definitely ghosts are real, but I have never observed one. I I took a summer school class, like, I think in, like, fifth or sixth grade, where it was all about, like, unexplainable spooky things, and it was at Coe College, and they talked about the Coe College ghost, and I think we went on a tour, which was just, like, standing outside the dorm and saying, up there, that window. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see the ghost. You know, I went on a um, haunted tour of Iowa City a couple uh, Halloweens ago, and there was a similar approach to ghosts at the university, where we just, like, stood outside a dorm 
and they were like, that's where it happened. <laughs> There's a ghost in there. Yeah. Well, David, it's uh, it's interesting that you refer to the Coe College ghost because that's what I'm going to tell you about now. Coe College is where I went to college, so I've I've heard some stories about this ghost. But let's let's get into the origins of the ghost here a little bit. This is from Coe's very own website, so they kind of embrace the existence of ghosts, I guess, academically. <laughs> In 1918, a young woman passed away just three weeks after beginning her education at Coe. It's now been a hundred years, and some are convinced her spirit never left campus. Helen Esther Roberts, the Voorhees ghost, was a first-year student from Strawberry Point, Iowa. She fell victim to the Spanish flu epidemic. Her ghost story includes both a history of Coe and things that go bump in the middle of the night. On October 9th, 1918, with 200 cases, it was clear the epidemic had arrived in the area. This is too real, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) The following day, the number of cases tripled, and Cedar Rapids found itself forced to close schools, churches, and public meeting areas. Sound familiar? Yeah, I wonder what that was like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 1918, David. You got my reference. Hooray! (laughs) On October 19th, 1918, Coe announced that 18-year-old Helen Roberts died of Spanish influenza-induced pneumonia. The flu epidemic continued for several weeks, and by October 24th, there were a reported 2,375 cases throughout the city. That's just in Cedar Rapids, 2,375 cases. Helen was laid to rest in Strawberry Point with co-professor Dr. Charles T. Hickok and his wife in attendance. In an effort to preserve Helen's memory, her parents donated a handsome grandfather clock to Voorhees Dormitory. They also endowed a scholarship in her name, which continues to be awarded a hundred years later. A handsome grandfather clock. It's difficult to pinpoint when Helen's legacy transitioned from tragic death to ghost stories, but by the 70s, Helen was a permanent fixture on campus. Encounters with Helen include sightings of a figure or feeling a cold breeze near the clock and phone calls received with a weak, unknown girl's voice on the other end. (laughs) Voorhees women report being locked out of their rooms, electrical items that turn off and on unexpectedly, and pictures falling from the walls. It is rumored that Helen does not approve of gentlemen visitors in the women's dorms. What a prude. Don't (laughs) slut shame me, Helen. (laughs) And she's not afraid to let them know. (laughs) She's just mad she died a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) The women of Helen's sorority, Delta, 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 appear to suffer more sightings than others. Well, yeah, because they live there. (laughs) (laughs) Although Helen's actions are unnerving, they're never mean or vindictive. As she is a friendly ghost. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest discrepancy is the location of her death. While all agree she died in Voorhees, the exact location is unknown. Research indicates that Helen died on the second floor, which was used as an infirmary during the Spanish influenza epidemic. With the context of Helen's death removed, what remains is the story of a young woman cheated out of her college experience. Perhaps this explains her varied attempts at pranks with Voorhees residents and her Tridelt sisters. 
I can't do a triad. I was going to make a joke about tri-delta. I couldn't do it. <laughs> this is only dual phonic. That was a pretty good story. Like, I'm convinced. Oh, Sounds yeah. haunted. I've got a little bit more about her, too, because they did an article about Helen in uh, the Gazette last year. So I can give you a little bit of that. Uh, it gives, like, a little bit about her background. Again, she came from Strawberry Point. Uh, she was born in 1819 to Charles Stark Roberts and Carolyn Little Roberts. Uh, her mom's middle name is Little. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've come across that name before. Stuart Little. Oh, you're right. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> Little Richard. <laughs> I bet it was one of those situations where it was like her mom's maiden name and then they just made it her kid's middle name because yeah. you don't get to keep your name when you get married. Right, right. You don't get to. <laughs> they take it away. <laughs> um, and they say that stories about her haunting for he started like a year after she died. Okay, on the anniversary of Helen's death 19 years ago, a Gazette online team set up a webcam aimed at the grandfather clock her parents had given Co, where it was said Helen appeared at 2.43 p.m., October 19th, the time of her death. Twenty students signed up for a seance with a Ouija board to summon Helen's spirit. <laughs> they received only two answers out of 15 questions asked to the board. Via the Ouija board, Helen told the group that she was still stuck at Co and was not looking for her diary. No one saw Helen's ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the diary thing is about? I don't really know. Like, it, it's probably something some kid made up. Like, that's the mm -hmm. reason she's still yeah. a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I have to write one final entry. I died. <laughs> uh, and then the last letter, the pen falls off the page. <laughs> <laughs> Students reported late night appearances of a girl in white that disappeared down a hallway. Sightings ceased after a few years, only to recur in the late 1960s, when the residents of the second floor area where Helen died began hearing strange noises. When things appeared to move in the room Helen had once occupied, and pounding noises would awaken residents, the whole floor of girls sometimes would grab pillows and blankets and move to the lobby for the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call fire drill, actually. <laughs> That's the real story. And they have a little tidbit here from before she was born. So, strangely, in 1885, when spiritualism was popular and purported mediums conned the populace, a 25-year-old Charles, that's Helen's father, was among a group of young men who attended a seance led by a well-known medium who had been holding gatherings in Strawberry Point for several days, charging people $1 each to attend. As the evening progressed, two spirits had appeared and left. When the third came out, Charles grabbed him and found out it was the medium himself. The culprit was arrested for taking money under false pretenses and taken to the El Cater jail. Matthew <laughs> <laughs> so could be arrested for telling lies. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like her father was probably like a, a skeptic about ghosts and contact with the dead, which I assume cursed his daughter, and so she's a ghost. <laughs> A real Mulder and Scully story, that one. <laughs> and then since I went to Co, I know people who claim to have Helen experiences. Ooh, do tell. That's what we call when you have like a lesbian phase in college, <laughs> a, a Helen experience. <laughs> a Helen experience. Is that when like all the girls grab their pillows and go out into the lobby together? 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. It's where they get captured and cross the sea and start a war. <laughs> <laughs> so I solicited stories from people I went to college with. I have a couple. Uh, this one's from Kirsten. So Voorhees, again, that's the residence hall where Helen's spirit resides. Like Jason Voorhees? Is that who it's named after? That's right. That's more of a psycho. (laughs) 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 There's similar sounds in Friday the 13th. All right, so Kirsten had a single room in Voorhees her sophomore year, and one early morning she left her room to go take a shower. She did not lock her room before she left, and when she returned... Her door was locked with the keys inside, (laughs) which is not possible, I guess. Ghosts can't manipulate objects. Well, they can. Like, ghost is the only explanation, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ghosts are real cool. It it wouldn't have been possible for the door to have been locked with the keys still in the room, but no living beings still in the room. Mm. So, ghost. Uh, And then she had to call security to come unlock the door for her. And then uh, she says that her sorority sisters who lived in the same building, uh, they would often complain that Helen had moved their TVs in their room to face a different direction, which is definitely something I would notice. (laughs) If my TV was moved, I'd be furious. Yeah. I have it set up the way I want it. (laughs) And Ashley, my wife, also went to Co. And she lived in Voorhees one year so i figured wow i should check with my wife see if she has any helen stories and she said no that's not real ghosts are not real (laughs) but once uh kirsten posted her story ashley was like oh yeah that happened to me too so (gasps) (laughs) so ghosts are definitely real yeah ghosts are real yep i can't believe your wife um ashley henson is such a skeptic (laughs) when it comes to the paranormal The tables have turned. (laughs) (laughs) And then I've got one from Margaret as well. Uh, Margaret lived in the room where Helen lived and presumably died. And she says, creepy (gasps) things happened a lot. Stuff would fall off the walls. One time a flashlight that was inside of a desk drawer turned on in the middle of the night. She says other people have creepier stories than her, but she did not elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) The flashlight thing, though, that's that's that freaked me out. Yeah, me too. Is it a clapper flashlight? That would explain it. Uh, she didn't specify, but I would assume no. <laughs> oh, okay. And now I live just outside of Iowa City. So here's a story about an Iowa City kind of ghost. Are you guys familiar with the Black Angel statue? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no for the listeners who don't know. <laughs> well, let me tell you about the Black Angel. So there's a cemetery in town, uh, Oakland Cemetery. Oakland Cemetery. I think I said cemetery. <laughs> it's not the same thing. <laughs> Oakland Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Oakland Seminary. Gotcha. Right, right. And there's a, a statue in the cemetery, which is an angel, and it's black. And that's that's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> there is more to the story. All right. So this is from IowaHauntedHouses.com. This is their summary of the Black Angel. The cemetery is said to be haunted by its Black Angel statue and a young girl set on a pedestal. Strange lights have been reported here, and the angel has been seen walking around as a glowing shape. What? (laughs) 
It is said that the little girl statue will pick out one member of a group of cemetery visitors and stare at that person until they leave the premises. (laughs) It has also been reported that the temperature changes in relation to the girl statue. The closer you get to it, the warmer you feel. If you back away, the colder it gets. Uh, So this is the first time, you know, I've known about the Black Angel thing for ever because you know mm-hmm. it's creepy and people talk about it yeah iconic creepy statue this thing here from iowahauntedhouses.com is the first time i've ever heard of it walking around as a glowing shape yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah me neither i've never heard that but uh, i choose to believe it uh, you know why not <laughs> uh it is an eight and a half foot tall statue it's signed by mario corbell i guess is the artist's name was erected in 1913 as a memorial to Nicholas Feldivert. I believe, Stella, you know kind of about the story with this thing, right? Yeah, a little bit. I read a, um, a book called like Iowa City Ghost Stories or something, and it had some interesting tidbits about the Black Angel. So it was um, it's above the grave of um, an immigrant... Um, I believe she was a Czech immigrant at the time. It was like Bohemia, but she came to the United States and she had one child. She had a son and he passed away. I think he was probably like 18 or 19 and she was just absolutely devastated. Um, It was her only child. And so she had the black angel sculpted and it's, it's a huge statue. It's really beautiful and really, really sad. But apparently when it was put up, Um, It wasn't black. It turned black over the course of a few years from the elements or like, yeah, it's bronze. So like oxidation or something like that turned it black. And I think this is so creepy. So her, she ended up, she moved all over the country, but in her last few years, she moved back to Iowa City and the, the folks who lived around the cemetery reported seeing her like this old woman trudging up the hill to the black angel and trying to like rub off the black coloring off the statue to return it to bronze and then she died (laughs) she died because she touched it yeah (laughs) it's cursed that's another creepy part of the statue right is like it has her name on it too but it doesn't have her date of death so it looks like it says something like 18 whatever when she was born and then just blank so Mm -hmm. question mark she's still alive (laughs) uh yeah so it's it's her and her husband and their child i think are all Mm -hmm. all buried beneath the statue there's a very long like check poem or something i don't know if it's a poem but it's like there's like a big tablet too in front of the um, statue. It's pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. According to Wikipedia, uh, Teresa was the woman's name, and she mm-hmm. she died in 1924. But for some reason, that did not make it onto the stone. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was her son Edward who died in 1891. So that was the first. That's when the statue, or no, the statue was erected in 1913. Well, whatever. <laughs> what's important is many students and surrounding residents of iowa city visit the statue the biggest night of attraction is halloween where students and residents gather around the statue 
Some test their luck by touching or kissing the statue, and it is said that if one touches or kisses the statue, they will be struck dead, unless they are a virgin. (laughs) So Helen would have been fine. (laughs) It is also rumored that if a pregnant woman walks beneath the statue's stretched wings, that she will miscarry. Vandals have damaged the statue, removing several fingers. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you took off one of the statue's fingers, you're the worst. Give them back. Unless they're the fingers that cause her to be making a hang ten sign. Then it's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And you are permanently cursed for possessing one of her fingers. Yeah. Have you, I mean, Stella, you've seen the statue yourself with your own two eyes, right? Yes, my own two naked eyes. I have not only seen the statue during the day, but I've gone on Halloween in the middle of the night to check it out. And it's pretty spooky. I'm still alive as of this recording. Did you miscarry? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Did you dare to touch the statue? I think I... You know, I didn't touch the statue, but I sat near it. But no, I wouldn't dare. I try to be respectful. Yeah. So are you a virgin, I guess? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to go near it. I knew that I would burst into flames if I... <laughs> all the sex you've had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sex, I've had it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the most famous stories revolving around the Black Angel of Oakland Cemetery involves a young woman who visited the statue on a full moon and kissed her feet. Locals say that she dropped dead within six months. I feel like dropping dead implies like it happens instantaneously. Like she dropped dead six months later when she was hit by a bus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, six months is kind of a wide window to blame the statue. Yeah, like... There should be some more parameters around this. I'm not saying that the statue didn't do it, but... Well, this one, uh, this story I think will convince you. Another tale tells of a skeptical man who visited the statue with a group of friends, boasting about how he didn't believe in the legends. His friends dared him to touch the statue, and when he did, he died on the spot, victim of a massive heart (laughs) attack. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Black Angel. Get him! Get his ass! (laughs) And that's definitely a story that really happened because I read it here at (laughs) weekinweird.com. Sounds reputable. Mm -hmm. And earlier today, uh, Evan Jones, co-host of Rock Hard Caucus, uh, told us that he once stole a quarter from the Black Angel statue. So he is also eternally cursed. (laughs) When did this happen? Recently? I assume when he was a teenager, but I didn't get specifics. Uh Uh-oh, I don't think he's in the clear yet. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like we're pretty flexible with how long the Black Angel can take (laughs) to exact vengeance. So, good luck, Evan. It's a quarter, so I bet it's 25 years (laughs) to Mm. the day. (laughs) He may drop dead in his 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Cause of death? Black Angel curse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cause of death is stealing. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to our next segment. Oh, oh, before we do that. Tell me me about your ghosts. So the first one I learned about during the aforementioned spooky Halloween tour of haunted places in Iowa City. And it's not about a ghost, but more so about creepy things that happened here. So 
Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but it used to be really difficult for medical students to get their hands on cadavers to study and practice on. And so sometimes they would resort to robbing graves for Mm -hmm. corpses. And there was this man who buried his dear mother and he went to check on her corpse. I don't know. It was in a coffin, you know, about to be placed in the ground, buried in the ground. And she wasn't there. And so the local Iowa City citizens, true to form, Friday night, everyone's a little drunk. They go to the College of Medicine on the university campus, which is today, I believe, the old Capitol or one of those older like limestone buildings. There were just a couple buildings there for the university when it was initially founded. And so they knew that her corpse was in there. Um, and surrounded the college. And then I believe that they worked out some sort of deal where eventually the body was returned in an alley (laughs) (laughs) with only a few pieces missing. Ooh. Yeah. And those pieces became ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And here, this is um, the scariest ghost story that I've ever heard because it's absolutely true. 100% fact. I heard this story from my good friend, uh, Jane Van Wert, friend of the pod. She'd never lie. (laughs) She would never lie. (laughs) This... (laughs) story is so scary. So Jane's dad, he had a student intern the summer of 2006 who was renting an apartment in a house across the street from Hanshire Auditorium. I, You know, I think ghosts maybe just gravitate towards auditoriums because more dramatic people are likelier to be like, well, I guess I'm a ghost now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So one day, This intern comes into the office and she just seems kind of like kind of shell-shocked and Jane's dad didn't pry because he just was like, well, that's not my business. She's probably dealing with something personal. But then at some point she asks to go home early and she tells Jane's dad that she hadn't slept and she was trying to figure out how to move out of her place right away. So Jane's dad wants to make sure that like she's okay, you know, like, do you need anything? And She tells him that this weird thing happened to her the day before. So it was a Sunday afternoon, and she'd gone for a run. She gets home, and she's taking a shower, and then she hears the cabinet doors in her kitchen slam, and then she heard a scream, and she felt like she could, like, the scream sounded like it was in the bathroom with her. So she's, like, freaking out. She feels very vulnerable, like she's naked in the shower, so she rushes out to, like, figure out if someone's, like, broken into her place. But there's no one in the apartment. So she puts on some clothes. She goes downstairs to the apartment on the first floor. I think it was, like, a duplex situation. So she comes down downstairs thinking, like, well, maybe something happened to my neighbors. Maybe they're in danger. But no one's home there. And she's like, okay, this is super weird. And then suddenly the police show up. And the police say, hi, we're here on a call about a domestic disturbance what is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they explained that their dispatcher received a call from a landline tied to that address, but they didn't actually speak to anyone. They just heard what sounded like a struggle or some kind of fight. And so the girl's like, she's like so freaked out at this point. So she like ended up waiting outside her house for the neighbors to come home. She was like in shock. And then the neighbors were like, landline? We don't have a landline. It's 2006. We have Nokias. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, so Jane's dad, he tells her this story and Jane's like, dad, you got played by your intern. She was obviously like hung over and just like making up a story so that she could leave early and you would like feel bad for her. But then Jane goes online, which had been invented at this point in 2006, and she found the police blotter. Because you know how Iowa City Police, they like post all of the calls that they Mm -hmm. receive and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a very famous police log. Yeah. (laughs) So sure enough, there was a report of the police investigating a domestic disturbance call at that address that at the time she said it went down. And so Jane's like, wow, that is like such, you know, if it's a coincidence, it's really creepy. Right. Or yeah, she made a fake call just for a cover story, (laughs) which is a step above, I think. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Uh, Hire that intern if that's the case. Dang. (laughs) But uh, Jane and her dad did a little bit more research, and there's this website called The Charlie Project, and they have information about a woman who went missing from Iowa City in 1975. Um, So she went missing. This is a really interesting profile about her if, you know, your listeners want to check it out. Her name was Jane Ellen Wakefield, no relation to Jane Van Wert, who told me this story. But Jane was last seen in Iowa City in 1975. Initially, it was thought she had left with a religious cult, which was active in the area. But her family did not believe she would have joined a cult. Hmm. (laughs) So when investigators (laughs) searched the cult's camp, they found no sign of her. So that theory was discredited. She had separated from her husband, John, in 1975, and she'd filed for divorce about six months before she vanished, and she was seeing another guy. So their friends thought that Jane wanted to have children, but John didn't, and they believe this was the cause of the couple's marital problems. Um, The day she disappeared, she went on a bike ride with her friends. Her neighbor spoke to her and said she was behaving normally. But later that evening, one of Jane's neighbors heard someone yelling or screaming but did not investigate the noises. And she was discovered missing the next day. So her Ooh. car was, yeah. <laughs> Jane's car was found parked in its space. Her bicycle was locked to a yard lamp um, inside her house. Everything seemed to be in order. And this is a really creepy detail. Investigators believe she had been taking a shower when she disappeared. Wow. They administered many lie detector tests to eliminate suspects, but one person of interest refused to take one. So, shortly after Jane vanished, an informant told police a friend of his had confessed to her murder, and Jane's body was supposedly cremated and scattered along Interstate 80. This, somebody confessed to this? All of yeah. that? Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Authorities searched several locations, including two businesses owned by John, her ex-husband, and they removed bone fragments, a piece Whoa. of metal <laughs> believed to be a tooth filling, and five vacuum cleaners from his property. Laboratory testing in 1975 could not connect the items to Jane. He maintains his innocence, and um, that's the story. She sounds like she was pretty cool. Like, she was uh, a math and reading teacher in North Liberty. Yeah, she uh, uh, went to school in Sioux City. Callback to Sioux City. (laughs) It's always a callback for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, unknown if she had kissed the Black Angel in the last six months. Yeah. Doesn't sound like uh, a statue's curse was the cause of death. Yeah. It sounds like a shitty ex-husband to Yeah, a little darker her. than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. The end. I think we're, yeah. Next year, we're probably going to have to do a sequel to this and just, because you have a whole book of this stuff. So we're going to have to 
keep diving into the ghosts of Iowa. Oh, yeah. People have died here. (laughs) It's unique in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to move on to a different kind of uh, creepy encounter that people in Iowa have uh, claimed to experience. We're talking about UFOs now. Lights in the sky. Little green or gray men. Or tall (laughs) or skinny gray men. Various descriptions of men who are the wrong color or wrong size. (laughs) (laughs) Abductions. So I have here, uh, this is at newfork.org. That's the National UFO Reporting Center. Mm -hmm. I have here every cataloged report that they have from the state of Iowa. And the most recent one is September 1st of 2020. And the oldest one is June 30th, 1957. And I figured we could uh, pick a few of these to uh, hear about people's UFO sightings. So, David, would you like to give me a year between 1957 (laughs) and the current year? 1982. Okay, let's see. 82, 82, 82. All right, we have uh, one sighting cataloged in 1982, so let's check it out. This comes from Mason City, Iowa, and uh, they've got little, like, uh, fields here, like categories. Um, They say the shape of the UFO was a sphere, and the duration was one minute. This happened uh, September 12th, 1982 at uh, 5.30 a.m., I think. So an early morning UFO sighting, which is not usually when you get them. (laughs) They got kind of a long description, though, so let's see what they saw. While helping on paper route, early morning, right orange globe went down off to my right. The first time I saw the large orange sphere, I was with my son doing the Sunday morning paper route, which was very large. The reason I remember the approximate date so well was when we got home, I sat down to read the Sunday paper, and there was a report of a John David Gosh that had disappeared while doing <gasps> his paper route. Yeah, yikes. Johnny Gosh. Yeah, right, right. All that was left was his red wagon on the corner where he was last seen. My son held two paper routes, both weekly and Sunday, and since the weekly route was a small paper, he usually ran his weekly paper route with just the dog along. When I read about the Gosh boy, my son never went on any paper route alone again. How is this relevant to a UFO sighting? <laughs> <laughs> creepy though (laughs) this is why he remembers when it happened okay my son stopped and bent down to tie a shoelace and as i turned to my right this huge orange ball came from behind us straight through the sky and gracefully went down somewhere behind one of the houses that frank lloyd wright built (laughs) (laughs) i say gracefully because there was no sound no treetops blowing in the wind it just floated straight and fast naturally by the time i grabbed my son by the back of his shirt and said did you see that He had missed the whole thing. (laughs) The second time, I didn't see the orange ball, but I know it was there. (laughs) I was sitting out on my deck. Actually, I sleep outside all summer when it's not raining and is warm enough. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fun little detail there. (laughs) It was probably about 11.30 p.m. and I was still sitting up watching the stars when a light came over my deck. Like a strobe light, actually. The back end of my deck, looking north, is about four foot off the ground, and there is a railing around the deck. This light hit the top of the back railing and moved down across my deck, up to and over me. I was facing the light and was sitting back almost to the wall of my house so I could see the Big Dipper. (laughs) 
All of a sudden, it was like I was in broad daylight. I leaned forward and looked to both sides, trying to see where the light was coming from. I thought someone had put up some kind of new yard light or something. As I looked around, I saw that no one else's backyard was lit up, and the light was just around me. It didn't even cover my whole deck. After about four or five minutes, the light crawled back across my deck and disappeared. So I just forgot about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No sweat off your back, huh? Sounds like the aliens uh, was expecting a paper delivery and uh, (laughs) this guy couldn't do it. (laughs) Where's my crosswords? (laughs) (laughs) The next night, Saturday, at about the same time, the light came back. This time I got up out of my chair and went over to the back railing so I could look up over the house. There was the big orange globe. I was standing in daylight. Literally, the light was so bright, but you couldn't see a stream of light coming from the globe. There were no blinking lights or anything. It was absolutely motionless. I stood there staring at it for about four minutes. At least it seemed that long. (laughs) I did notice Mars behind and to the left of the globe. It was much farther up, and not nearly as large, so I do know it wasn't Mars. <laughs> I like all these astronomical details, like in case somebody is going to be like checking her story for her exact orientation. <laughs> it didn't seem to be perfectly smooth because I could see brownish, like indents, marks all over it. There were no windows or anything, and you couldn't see where the light was coming from. I really had the feeling that I was being watched. I live in a regular ranch-style house, and that thing was bigger than my house. It's hard to judge distances, but it looked like it was right on the other side of my house. I remember getting a little aggravated because it didn't do anything. And I said, for heaven's sake, say something or come down here and say something. (laughs) Don't just sit there. I went over to my chair to grab a cigarette. (laughs) And when I returned to watch it again, it was gone. Do you think she was going to try to light her cigarette on the glowing orb? (laughs) That would have been, oh man. Not shooting off through the sky, nothing. Once again, no sound. No trees blowing in the breeze, just gone. When talking to my sister, who still lives in Iowa, she said she had seen the orange globe almost two years earlier. Now, I do have a huge imagination, but my sister does not. (laughs) (laughs) Burn. Dang, yeah, jeez. <laughs> Just a bland dope, my sister. <laughs> my unimaginative, <laughs> uninspired oatmeal of a sister. <laughs> Milk toast. She says she was sitting outside on her back porch after dark, and this bright globe looked like it came up out of the ground and rose just above the treetops, then just sat there. She went to get her husband to see, and by the time she turned around, it was gone. There's like an additional note here from New Fork, I think. Or no, it's a note from the person reporting. They said, I checked emitted beams because I was bathed in a circle of light and the object landed because I know the first time I saw it, it went down, but it's more like it went into the earth. Hmm. Well, I think, I believe this person experienced something. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a weird thing to make up. But also just like the nonchalance Mm-hmm. The story, they forgot but... about it at one point. <laughs> First night, it went away, so I was just like, eh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the source of light that I cannot explain, uh, whatever. <laughs> if it's not going to offer me a beer or anything, then what's the point? I'm going to get a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's read another one. Stella, give me a year between 1957 and 2020. That's going to be a hard hard one to top. That was a good one, David. Um, I'm going to go with... I kind of want to hear the one from 1957, actually. Okay, yeah. Uh, so this is 
June 30th, 1957. It's a little bit shorter than the last one. Uh, This happened in Burlington, Iowa. And uh, they say this happened around 1 p.m., which is even weirder. (laughs) 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 The shape they saw was a circle, and they saw it for about 90 seconds. Slow travel when observed, followed by an abrupt direction change with unbelievable acceleration. (gasps) I was flat on my patio watching our daughter play in the yard. A line of decorative trees bordered our property. Brag. This silver-gray circular object appeared over the trees at an unknown height. It appeared to be very high, but extremely visible against the clear sky. Shouldn't drive while you're high. (laughs) (laughs) I watched as it came overhead. At this point, I called out to a neighbor to look. It was not drifting as a weather balloon would do. Rather, it was straight line movement. Before the neighbor could position himself to observe, it made an abrupt angle and vanished within five seconds. Previously, it was at a very slow rate of travel. When another neighbor came home, I told him of the event. He suggested I report it to the Weather Bureau at the Burlington Airport. (laughs) (laughs) I did so, and the person on duty suggested I report it to the Naval Observatory. Even with the telephone number given, I did not report it. Too many levels of bureaucracy. (laughs) (laughs) I was reluctant to even call the airport, so I just dropped the event. If it happened today, I wouldn't hesitate as there are now so many believers. Oh, I like that they found their community. Yeah, I guess they were nervous to tell anyone what they saw. (laughs) It is funny that a common theme in all of these is that someone sees it, and then they go get somebody to also see it, and then it vanishes. Right. It's like like everybody is William Shatner in that Twilight Zone episode with the gremlin on the wing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I do like the mention of a weather balloon which is always the explanation, like the Roswell stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a weather balloon. My favorite conspiracy theory is that, okay, so I heard this interview with a guy who his thought was Area 51 is where um, like a UFO crash landed, right? Well, during the space race, the Soviet Union um, knew that the United States had like freaked out, lost their shit. There was pandemonium in the streets during the um, War of the Worlds broadcast that Orson Welles put on on radio. Mm -hmm. I think it was like in the late 30s or 40s. But people believed it. They thought that Martians were invading. And so the Soviet Union were like, ah, ha ha, stupid capitalists. (laughs) (laughs) Like we can incite a similar level of panic and disarray and make them look bad. And so this guy's theory is that they took a couple children and then performed all these crazy like surgeries on them to make them look like deformed and non-humanoid and then put them in a non like traditional aircraft and then made them crash land in <laughs> uh, <laughs> in Area 51 so that when they were discovered people would think that they the aliens were invading again. That's, uh, it's like a convoluted plan, but it's like plausible. I don't see the motive, but yeah. <laughs> well, the motive is Cold War, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, what's war even good for anyway? I still don't see the motive of war. <laughs> Come on, man, open your eyes. The motive is just general <laughs> communist mischief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've seen, um, I'm sure the documentary, Bullwinkle with uh, Natasha and (laughs) (laughs) 
Boris, 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 and Natasha. Yeah, yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Random unrelated side note: I recently found out that the actress who did Rocky's voice did it throughout the entire run of like whenever they popped up, and she died at age ninety-seven. And, like, was still doing the voice in her 90s. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to do one more UFO story. And uh, this this is the closest one to my birthday on the list. <laughs> uh, but I will note that these seem to actually increase over time. Like, you would think that as, you know, technology and, like, cameras increased, like, the sightings would have decreased because you have no way to prove what you saw and Mm -hmm. you should be able to prove it if you saw it uh but yeah they've got stuff as like a ton of them reported this year and i mean like more than half of the page is from the 21st century so people are still reporting ufo sightings to new fork and i'm sure there's like a lot of good stuff to read on here so maybe we'll revisit this at a future date as well but at the same time you're kind of surprised that nothing like super definitive and like there's no other explanation has come up yet with everybody having a phone in their pockets now. Right. Oh, I also, um, while we're kind of on the subject, I want to tell you guys about this really, um, it sounds really factual, this thing called QAnon <laughs> that <laughs> I think I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's from uh, September 12th, 1989. So 364 days before I was born. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> This occurred in Waterloo, Iowa, and the reporter claims that they saw an oval. (laughs) (laughs) The most sinister of all shapes. (laughs) Bright light over my neighborhood that made no noise at all, but wasn't from here, woke me from a dead sleep. And they spelled neighborhood (laughs) N-A-B-O-R. Nabor. Like Jim Neighbors. Oh, no. (laughs) I was nine months preg when I, for no reason at all, (laughs) just sat up and went straight to my window and looked out. All I could see was this huge oval-shaped, way, way bright thing in the sky above my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I was choked to see how low this thing was that I couldn't move or scream or anything. I just stood there, staring in disbelief at this extremely bright white thing that was making no sound at all. None. I was listened to see if it could have been a plane, helicopter, anything. No noise at all. I told a few people since this has happened and don't care if anyone believes me or not. But I know <laughs> what I seen wasn't from here. <laughs> and that unborn baby, 12 months later, was born. His name was Justin Keith Gomer. <laughs> and she also spells helicopter H E. L-L-A, copter. (laughs) That's one hell of a copter. (laughs) (laughs) Any of you guys have any UFO sightings that you personally have witnessed? I have. (sighs) Nothing that I remember. Like, I don't know. I've driven through the middle of the night a lot and just seen Mm -hmm. weird stars, but nothing that I would consider a UFO, really. Unless it's Mm -hmm. been erased from my memory. But uh, what's your uh, UFO sighting, David? Yeah, I guess, I don't know if it was an object necessarily, but it was very strange. I think I was in second or third grade, and I was sitting in the car at night. Like, well, I don't know what was going on, but I was, 
like in front of my elementary school, like in one of the parking spots. And I was looking kind of out the window and I saw up in the stars, two lights. It looked like two stars, right? Just kind of like the same brightness, but they were kind of close to each other. And they were going in a U shape, like kind of back and forth, like oscillating in this like sweeping U shape for maybe two minutes. And then it kind of just like did one final swoop and like went off and disappeared. Wow. How old were you? Uh, I was probably like, how old are third graders? Like eight eight or nine. Yeah. Twelve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I've never had anything like that. I'm envious. You should report it on this website. David. I'm a little shy. I don't think any <laughs> one of my neighbors will believe me. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. There's so many believers out there now. <laughs> yeah, all the stories that I, I read just now were anonymous as well. So you can do it anonymously if you want. Well, uh, I think anybody who's listening to this podcast will be able to find the source pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, all all 15 of the patrons of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So as, as much as I love the UFO sighting stories, it's time to move on to the final subject of Rocktober Hardloween Carcass. Final subject. <laughs> oh, I want, hold on. I want that two octaves down. Sorry. Final subject. <laughs> you can use that as a theme song if you want. <laughs> now we're going to cover cryptids. I don't even know what this is. You said that we're going to do this earlier. What is a cryptid? <laughs> you don't know what a cryptid is? Uh, are you no. familiar with the field of cryptozoology? Cryptocurrency? <laughs> uh, it's similar. Uh, unexplainable <laughs> currency. <laughs> also unexplainable animals or creatures. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So cryptids. Yeah, cryptids Duh, are like, ids. you know, Bigfoot. Gotcha. Chupacabra. Mm-hmm. Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Bruce Valanche. <laughs> the Jersey Devil. <laughs> Squirrels that are bigger than y- you would think. <laughs> Philadelphia Philly fanatic. Yeah. yeah. Mascots are cryptids. <laughs> Platypuses. Love is a spell. So, cryptids. Um, <laughs> Iowa is kind mm-hmm. of light on cryptids. I think it's probably due to the the flat nature of our, our geography. You know, if there were any mysterious creatures, it would be difficult for them to disappear over the horizon, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But there are some here, and I'm going to start with dragons. Just, you know, (laughs) dragons. You know what dragons are. Apparently people in Iowa say they've seen dragons. Yeah, like like that documentary, um, Reign of Fire, or Dragonheart, or Aragon, or... The Hobbit Part (laughs) 2. What's the incidence of uh, meth consumption in Iowa? (laughs) Oh, so high. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is from uh, the Cryptids Wiki. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-D-Z dot fandom dot com. This is is their page called Iowa Dragons. (laughs) It says, a number of Burlington, Iowa residents have reported seeing several dragons flying over their city (laughs) in recent years. (laughs) Two witnesses described it as brown-skinned with a long snake-like body and 15-foot bat-like wings. Its head was shaped like a seahorse and it had a skinny tail flowing behind it. They watched the dragon slither through the air until it flew high up in the night sky. Wait, so what would that look like? 
slithering through the sky and then flying away? Uh, I think it's just slithering. So that's sort of like a, you know, meandering, you know, not kind of directionless movement. And then suddenly just darting off, I think. Yeah. That's not typical of a dragon. Dragons move from point A to point B. Yeah. At 20 miles per hour. <laughs> they're, they're like a moped. <laughs> I I would yeah. say that these people, they probably actually, it was a UFO sighting, and I would call it dragon-shaped, a dragon-shaped UFO. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, it might have been aliens, but... I'm going to feel crazy if I say that I saw a <laughs> UFO. Better better tell people it was a dragon. <laughs> you know, let's be real. It was actually a ghost. <laughs> yeah. It was a ghost of a seahorse that got mm-hmm. confused. Yeah, we know ghosts can fly, so that part's already explained. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've got some specific sightings here. So the Bedford <laughs> Times Independent in Bedford, Iowa, on August 11th, 1887, <laughs> <laughs> reported that a man named Lee Corder encountered a flying serpent, and then this is a quote, writhing and twisting with protruding eyes and forked tongue. Great scales, which glistened in the sunlight, covered its huge body, which appeared to be flat and nearly a foot in width. Sounds more like a worm to me. (laughs) So hot. The beast seemed to fly and land with a thud in Mr. Corder's cornfield. <laughs> they watched <Boom>. with <laughs> They watched with awe and astonishment as eventually the dragon returned to the sky. <gasps> <laughs> I get the impression that newspapers in the 1800s were all just kind of tabloids yeah. and rags yeah they they'd print anything oh you saw a dragon yeah yes you did <laughs> <From me. laughs> and another one uh october 1890 in independence iowa uh several reports of a monster with wings a monstrous head with horns and a mouth like an alligator's the creature appeared green in color and covered in scales that's inconsistent with the other story where it was brown skin, so somebody's lying. Well, it's probably a different dragon. Multiple species yeah. of dragons. dragons. There's always one dragon, and it hoards over all the gold. And once you slay the dragon, you're the hero of the village. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a, a more recent dragon sighting. This was posted Ooh. This was posted by someone named Megan at uh, paranormal.about.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's the creepiest part of all. <laughs> Old domains. <laughs> yeah, I have to uh, access this via the Internet Archive. <laughs> the Wayback Machine. Uh, this was posted in January 2007. And Megan says, My fiance Dennis and I live in a small town in Iowa called Burlington. About two years ago, we were driving in my car down a residential street in the wee hours of the morning, coming up on 3 a.m., I can't remember why we were out that early. I've forgotten. So don't ask. (laughs) The long residential road that we were on heads west to the outskirts of town, opening up to an area where there is a few apartment complexes, retail stores, a shopping mall, and two very large car dealership lots. Past that are cornfields, woods, highways, and an army base. The army base is said to be very haunted. (laughs) 
The biggest car lot is called Schottenkirk and has so many <laughs> tall, bright lights that you can see the glow from all the way across town. They run these lights all night long. I'm not sure if these details are relevant, but I read them anyway. <laughs> it's very informative. I appreciate it. Being a little slice of life in small town Iowa. But Burlington's actually like pretty big relative to the rest of Iowa. Yeah, Burlington is not uh, particularly small mm-hmm. by Iowa standards. Yeah. As we drove closer and closer to this little shopping area, I just happened to look up above the glaring bright Schottenkirk lights and saw something that I will never forget. It was brown in color. (laughs) (laughs) With a long body, about 10 feet in length. The body was long. It was a very stupendous turd. (laughs) It was brown in color with a long body, about 10 feet in length. The body was long and snake-like. It had bat-like wings somewhere between at least 15 to 20 feet across. The head was seahorse-like. It had a skinny (gasps) tail flowing behind it. I looked at Dennis and said, did you see that? And he said, yeah. Oh, my God. What is that? (laughs) I actually stopped my car in the middle of the road, (laughs) and we just stared with our mouths hanging open. It seemed to kind of slither in midair, hovering above those tall lights above the car dealership, and it would occasionally beat its (laughs) massive bat-like wings that sprouted out of its back. Are are they sure it wasn't, like, one of those... uh dealership like windsock guys <laughs> it's yeah it's just like a inflatable dragon above schottenkirk car lot yeah. it breathed fire the fire spelled out used hondas cheap <laughs> must go zero percent apr dennis then said it looks like one of those chinese dragons And it did. It looked just like those mythical, serpent-like, slithery, winged Chinese dragons. It moved just like the ones you see in cartoons and drawings, slithering up and down in the air. Have you guys seen a lot of uh, Chinese dragons in cartoons? Uh, Rural Iowa racism rears its ugly (laughs) dragonoid head. (laughs) Despicable. We watched until it rose up higher into the sky, away from the illumination of the lights, and out of our range of sight. It was incredible. We both swapped notes and separately drew pictures of what we had seen and then compared them. <laughs> they are nearly <laughs> identical. <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I thought this was pretty unlikely, but I, I think I believe that. <laughs> they played Telephone Pictionary and they both started with the phrase, that dragon we just saw. <laughs> <laughs> Call me crazy, but I think we saw a dragon in Iowa. So what happened to it? They said they saw it. It, it, it was just it slithered, left. It slithered away. <laughs> yeah, it rose up higher into the sky. It ascended to heaven like our Lord and Savior. Am I the only one that like? <laughs> am I the only one that has never heard a dragon described as slithering in the air? Like, um, they have wings. They flap their wings. That's how they I move. Think, Birds don't you know, slither. It's probably just like. Because they seem reptilian, I think that word is definitely associated with reptiles, so that's the word people would use to describe a dragon's movement. Mm-hmm. And since they brought up the Chinese dragons, I think there's like a an east-west divide in our conception of dragons. Like the mm-hmm. the English-style dragon is more of like, yeah. more lizard-like, and then, you know, like a Chinese parade dragon is like a snake yeah i mean those i guess are kind of stuck on the y-axis because it's just people underneath so (laughs) 
And then there's a comment on this story from uh, someone named Zeus, Z-E-U-Z. <laughs> and they say, I live in Iowa too, in Grand Mound. We see dragons like that all the time. (laughs) 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 They normally come in the harvest time when the moon is really big and red. They often take cows from my neighbor's pasture. (laughs) I myself have spotted these dragons six different times. Once in a group of three. Once I saw a large blue one with four wings. Otherwise, they look like the one you described. (laughs) That was the king dragon. (laughs) Or queen. That's true. It could be a matriarchal society. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, and moving on from the dragons, I've got... So there's this guy, Jason Offit. He wrote a book called Chasing American Monsters, and he's got a chapter for each of the 50 states. And the Iowa chapter, as luck would have it, is available in its entirety in the preview of this book on Google Books. <laughs> so hopefully uh, Jason doesn't mind that we're going to read from that now. It's free advertising and promotion, at least. Yeah. And uh, so we've got three cryptids here. I think I'm just going to pick one of these. We've got the Lockridge monster. We've got the hairy wild woman. And we've got the monster turtle of Big Blue. Do uh, you think we could come to a consensus on which of those we're most interested in? I'm pretty equally interested in all of them. <laughs> what was the What was the second one? Uh, the hairy wild woman. I, you know, I kind of, I feel like that one's right. <laughs> that's the That's the one I found, and I read it, and it's worth reading on this yeah. podcast. So, yeah, yeah, go for it. All right, we're going to talk about the hairy wild woman. Is this just a woman who like didn't shave her legs for two weeks and then heard the She's a monster. Iowan <laughs> ran her out of town? Okay. Well, I'll tell you. This is uh, Jason Offit's summary of the hairy wild woman. Hunters spotted a wild man, quote, of the female sex <laughs> in the forest near Gordon's Ferry, 12 miles north of Dubuque. On July 17th, 1884, according to the Dubuque Herald. So again, this is an <laughs> 1800s newspaper that's just <laughs> writing this shit. about yeah. mythical creature sightings. <laughs> <laughs> when hunters spotted the woman, she stood like a statue in a clear space. Her disheveled hair was about three feet long and black as jet. The men had crept up behind her, and when she realized they were there... She emitted an unearthly scream Ah! and ran through the woods at tremendous speed. (laughs) She looked to be about 20 years old. The wild woman was nude. Yeah. (laughs) That's why the men were keeping up on her. (laughs) (laughs) There's a naked lady over there. (laughs) 1800s. We don't have anything to do but read these newspaper tabloids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I am just realizing right now that Jet Black isn't named after, like, jets. <laughs> I guess they were saying that before there was air travel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. Holy cow. <laughs> the wild woman was nude. The most disturbing attribute was her receding forehead. Oh, what? <laughs> the men searched the woods for hours, but never saw her again. I love that that's... Uh... <laughs> A 20-year-old woman, but, like, everything describing her would suggest that she's much older. (laughs) And also a man. (laughs) (laughs) 
she is a wild man of the female sex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I want to move on to the the greatest cryptid of all, the Van Meter Visitor. (laughs) That was the audience going, woo. Yeah, they're excited (laughs) about the Van Meter Visitor. This is the, the big hitter of the night. Oh, man, here we go. We'll start again with the cryptids wiki, cryptids.fandom.com. This is their summary of the Van Meter Visitor. 114 years ago, uh, and I believe this article was written in 2017, so I will amend that. 117 years ago, a strange creature was said to have paid a visit to the small town of Van Meter in Iowa. The strange events occurred in October of 1903. Several respected members of the community told of a mysterious half-animal, half-human winged creature that terrorized some of the town's residents during several nights in the course of the week. Descriptions of the beast suggested that it had large bat-like wings. Oh my god, it's, <laughs> it's the dragon-werewoman uh, hybrid. <laughs> uh, left a terrible stench wherever it went. <laughs> hey, and... <laughs> you can't help that. <laughs> And even stranger, it fired beams of bright light from its forehead. The bizarre account recalls how several of the locals attempted to shoot the beast, but their gunfire didn't appear to have any effect. Fed up with the menace, a group of townsfolk banded together one evening and pursued the creature to an abandoned coal mine. There they confronted not one, but two of the beasts, (gasps) which both turned and disappeared down into the gloom of the mine as the men opened fire. Never to be seen again. (laughs) Who are the men? (laughs) Uh, I believe the creatures were never to be seen again. Okay. You guys know where Van Meter is? Uh, It's like just outside of Des Moines. I looked yeah, I'm it looking up. it up here. It's it's west of West Des Moines. Sounds right. like maybe a couple guys who like were working in the mine, you know, and they come up and they're disoriented and you know they have their lights on and they're a little bit stinky and <laughs> then the townspeople just kind of shot at them. <laughs> they're wearing their wings. Oh yeah, I forgot about the wings. <laughs> Those are just two shovels strapped to their backs in this formation. <laughs> Yeah, so Van Meter is uh, yeah, just west of West Des Moines, as David said. Uh, it's a population like around 1,300 present day. It's wow. a little, little place. It's tiny. And some guys wrote a book about the Van Meter visitor, which I'm going to maybe try to get a copy of it at some point. But um, while well, it says on the cover, their names are Lewis, Voss, and Nelson. So it, three guys teamed up to give you the full story on the Van Meter visitor. Uh, it's like a 200-page book, so <laughs> hopefully lots of incredible earth-shattering details. Yeah. The Van Meter Visitor is literally the first thing on the wiki page for Van Meter, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chad Lewis, Noah Voss, and Kevin Lee Nelson, that's their names. And they, they've done other sort of like investigations of you know paranormal or cryptozoological events. But this is this seems to be like their main subject is the van meter visitor uh, they started a yearly festival in van meter <laughs> celebrating the creature That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah i assume uh that did not happen in 2020 but maybe next next year maybe hopefully i can go to the van meter visitors day festival <laughs> wow there's some cool artist renderings of what the visitor might look like yeah basically it looks like a pokemon or something <laughs> Yeah, it's like a Pokemon. 
Uh, yeah, there's a Des Moines Register article about the guys that wrote the book and like their investigation into the subject. They they sort of talked to like people that keep records in the town and descendants of the people who said they witnessed the monster. Mm-hmm. And the people who were quoted in the newspaper as having seen them were like respected businessmen in the community. So, <laughs> so I mean, to Van Meter residents, this was like a credible story. Yeah. But... Uh, what do I have here? But what, Justin? Well, I managed to track down the original story <laughs> from <laughs> 1903. Uh, so this is, uh, where, where was this from? What newspaper was this? I don't know. But it, it got reprinted in like other national papers. That's how important the story was. <laughs> wow. And I found this on a website called The Devil's Penny, <laughs> <laughs> which again, I had to access through the Wayback Machine. But they reprinted the article here. So let me tell you. The headline is, This Monster Like a Maniac's Dream. (laughs) (laughs) Published October 5th, 1903. Awful, winged form shedding dazzling light terrifies an Iowa town. The town of Van Meter, containing 1,000 persons, is terribly wrought up by what is described as a horrible monster. Every man, woman, and child in the town is in a state of terror and fully half of them fail to close their eyes in slumber, except in broad daylight. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the best time for UFOs to come, so you're never safe. (laughs) This is very, like, outrageous reporting. Yeah. (laughs) Friday night, while the population was keeping the dreadful vigil, every electric light in the city was kept burning to satisfy the most timid. The, (laughs) The monster put in its appearance Monday night, U.G. Griffith, an implement dealer, an implement dealer? He deals implements? (laughs) Implements and implement accessories. (laughs) You know, like bigger boobs. (laughs) Implements. (laughs) U.G. Griffith drove into town at 1 a.m. and saw what seemed to be an electric searchlight on Maher and Griggs store. While he gazed, it sailed across to another building and then disappeared. His story was not believed the next day. But the following night, Dr. A.C. Olcott, who sleeps in his office on the principal street... (laughs) (laughs) Trouble at home? (laughs) ...was awakened by a bright light shining in his face. He grabbed a shotgun and ran outside the building where he saw a monster, seemingly half-human and half-beast, with great bat-like wings. A dazzling light that fairly blinded him came from a blunt, horn-like protuberance in the middle of the animal's forehead and gave off a stupefying odor that almost (laughs) overcame him. (laughs) The doctor discharged his weapon and fled into his office, barring doors and windows, and remained there in abject terror until morning. (laughs) Peter Dunn, cashier of the only bank in town, fearing bank robbers, loaded a repeating shotgun with shells filled with buckshot and prepared to guard his funds next night. Damn, so this, this story like could only West happen. <laughs> yeah, this could only happen in America. <laughs> <laughs> At two o'clock, he was blinded by the presence of a light of great intensity. Eventually, he recovered his senses sufficiently to distinguish the monster through the window. The plate glass and sash were torn out and the monster disappeared. Next morning, imprints of great three-toed feet were discernible in the soft earth plaster casts of them were taken (laughs) i wonder if if those still survive yeah i didn't i didn't read through like all of the 
contemporary, uh, mm-hmm. you know, examination, investigation into Van Meter. But maybe I'll try to get that book and see if they witness the plaster casts. <laughs> that night, Dr. O.W. White saw the monster climbing down a telephone pole. Wouldn't it just fly if it has these huge wings? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, okay, it climbed down the telephone pole using its beak, much in the manner of a parrot. <laughs> so i guess it has a beak as well as it struck the ground it seemed to travel in leaps like a kangaroo using its huge featherless wings to assist so it doesn't fly it kind of hops (laughs) it gave off no light he fired at it and believes he wounded it the shot was followed by an overpowering odor (laughs) sydney Gregg, attracted by the shot saw the monster flying away okay so it can fly but sometimes it travels like a sparrow, you know, hopping around on the ground. <laughs> and it can emit a foul odor like a skunk. <laughs> like every animal, it has some traits. But the climax came Friday night. The whole town was aroused by this time. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Come on. I wouldn't say anything for the first one, but then I know. <laughs> you had to have that one-two punch. boy yo 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 Everyone was horny for the monster. (laughs) (laughs) The scent of love was a terrible odor that descended upon the townspeople. (laughs) Involuntary erections. (laughs) 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 Professor Martin, principal of the schools, decided that upon the description that it was an antediluvian animal. Uh, Antediluvian? That's... That's like a... Not diluvian. <laughs> I believe that's a word to describe like Bosch paintings, like weird mm. middle age paintings of demons and stuff, like that kind of imagery. Oh, uh, yeah. I think well, if right. the smartest guy in town can verify it, sounds mm. pretty real. He is a, a professor and principal of the schools, so... <laughs> he carries around a big tome at all times and he has spectacles with a little string that goes around his head. <laughs> So he must be smart. Shortly after midnight, J.L. Platt, foreman of the brick plant, heard a peculiar sound in an abandoned coal mine. And as the men had reported a similar sound before, a body of volunteers started an investigation. Presently, the monster emerged from the shaft, accompanied by a smaller one. A score of shots were fired without effect. The whole town was aroused and vigil was maintained the rest of the night, but without result until just at dawn, when the two monsters returned and disappeared down the shaft. So so they they left, and then they came back, and then they left again. <laughs> 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 kind of an anti-climax, but yeah. <laughs> that's how they end the story. Like, the, the monsters returned to the mine and were never seen again. So the thing about a mine, though, is that they're man-made, and therefore they have an end. So, like, <laughs> if they go down there, aren't they trapped? Well, haven't you seen that movie, The Descent? Oh, yeah, it's like that. Yeah. Mm. The mine must have freed these creatures from below mm-hmm. the Earth's surface. Uh. I wouldn't want to come back to Van Meter either. The people were really mean, <laughs> shooting at them, printing dirty lies in their paper, telling them that they're too stinky. <laughs> they shot me. They shot my son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never speak to me. Or my Van Meter visitor son ever again. <laughs> my antediluvian son. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> I guess to their credit, the Van Meter citizens, I did find a little article that I can't read because a lot of it's like gross and the words are covered up, but I can see the title. It says Van Meter hot under the collar. Town has been maligned by ghost stories. Citizens of the place feel indignant over the matter as it gives the place an unenviable reputation. <laughs> right. So they, they saw these monsters, they told the world and the world pointed and laughed. <laughs> and they're like, God damn it. Why do we do that? <laughs> Also, the picture in this article, which it looks super old, like maybe this came out shortly thereafter. The monster has, it's like all black. It's got a Donald Duck head. (laughs) It's got the big wings and the body is just like a snake with like two little feetsies at the very end. (laughs) (laughs) And I can clearly see that there are four toes, not three. Mm. And the monster has an entire horse in its beak. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I see the photo you're using now, Justin. You have to use this for the <laughs> cover art. Yeah, I can I can include that in the episode art. There's two little guys down there who are just like, what's going <laughs> on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess the town of Van Meter was was shamed for believing in antediluvian monsters. <laughs> but uh yeah, hopefully I can I can learn more about the monster and we can have a Rocktober Harloween carcass sequel a year from now we'll we'll follow up fan meter visitor if you're listening come on the patreon yeah yeah i'll you know there's plenty of ghosts here in iowa if you have a favorite ghost you can reach out to us maybe we'll, we can cover we'll cover some new ghost stories in one year again mm-hmm. there's like a ton of ufo sightings so plenty of those to choose from yeah. and uh <laughs> we're light on cryptids but there were a couple in that book that i skipped and i also it seems like there's a lot more information about the Van Meter visitor that I could pursue. So plenty of opportunities there. Everybody listening, I, I hope you uh, have a great Halloween. Um, not not much to do this year, but uh, you know maybe we can just all hang out in our houses and watch scary movies and think about cryptids. <laughs> Put a bowl of candy outside your house, and I'm mm-hmm. sure all the kids will like use the honor system and take one. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think Halloween is probably my favorite, uh, not just my favorite holiday, but my favorite day. Like, it's the best day of the year. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Halloween is my favorite holiday, too. Candy, costumes, yeah, spooky. Mm -hmm. This would have been such a good Halloween, too, except for the stupid pandemic. Like, Halloween's on a Saturday. It's the weekend of daylight savings time, so there's an extra hour I think there's supposed to be a really good moon. The moon's going to be looking really good. Yeah, and it snowed this year, too. So it's like this is the last year that you could probably go out and do anything before global warming like makes every Halloween completely <laughs> uninhabitable. <laughs> yeah, we're getting closer to the like six months of winter, six months of summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more fall, no more spring, no more comfort. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wonder what creatures global warming will release from the Earth's depths. Oh, yeah. When the ice caps melt, there's going to be a bunch of, like, aliens that were frozen centuries ago. Oh, shit. Like yeah. in Star Trek, the the Borg one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll be years of material for you, Justin. And if we don't get that, then we'll... 
just talk about minor Iowa uh, <laughs> elected officials for the cryptid section of the <laughs> Halloween episode. Yeah. Well, there, there's your show. That was Rocktober Halloween Carcass. Hopefully a, a new tradition here on this podcast. Thank you, Stella. Thank you, David. Yeah, ghosts are real. Ghosts are real. Aliens are real. Cryptids are probably real. Dragons are real. <laughs> Dragons are definitely real. <laughs> I mean, that one guy said he sees them all the time. <laughs> Everyone knows what a dragon is. It's like, how else would you know what they look like unless they were real? <laughs> all right. See you later. Have a have a spooky night and enjoy the new version of the Song of Iowa that I'm placing at the beginning and end of this episode. I tried to